This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Today's, uh, y'all are stuck on me again. Mom and Dad are on a City Refuge uh, trip. It's a fundraising event, and Dad asked us specifically to be in prayer for that. They want to... It's one of these uh, events where they invite a lot of high-capacity donors out. Uh, but his prayer was that they make the connections, right connections with the right people. They're not just looking for anybody who can write a big paycheck. They're looking for people who share the vision and uh, line up with our ideas and also can write a big check. So just be in prayer for that. That's how City Refuge does what it does. So obviously that's an important thing. Um, a couple Wednesdays ago in an in adult class on Wednesday night, and if you can't be there, uh, it's been very good, or, or if you haven't been coming and you could come, then I'd highly encourage you to be there because the conversations are good, the class is good, we've got kind of a eight or ten dedicated group that that's there now, and it's been really nice, so if, if you want to come, that would be great. We, we were in class a couple Wednesdays ago, and uh, Dad was, he passed out this piece of paper, and he was asking us questions to rate ourselves on a couple different things, on like a grade scale, like A, B, C, D, F, and if I was in school, it would have been an F, but, so he asked us these different questions, and one of the questions was, well, what would you rate yourself on trusting in God or leaning on your own understanding. And so he starts going around the table and I start contemplating this in my mind. And I'm thinking, I think I give myself an A. But I'm like, well, you can't give yourself an A. You just can't do that. That's not, that's, you can't give yourself an A. And then (laughs) they're going around the table and I'm like, well, you could give yourself an A. You know, you technically could do that. Maybe I shouldn't. And then it gets to Grandma, and Grandma's talking about all these wonderful reasons why uh, or how she trusts in the Lord and gives all these nice examples and then gives herself a B. And I'm like, great, Grandma couldn't give herself an A. She could have opened the door for an A. And then it gets to Mom, and she does an even better job of telling how she trusts in the Lord and leans not on her own understanding and then gives herself a B. Hey, go, Mom. So I just said, well, why couldn't you give yourself an A? She said, well, I don't know. I don't want to give myself an A. And so Dad looks at me and was like, well, what would you grade yourself? And I was like, an A? And <laughs> I, I said, I don't think I'm a hot ticket item, but what I was thinking in my mind is that I'm not a perfect person. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. There are so many things that I do wrong on a day-to-day basis. But I'm thinking, when, I, when I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking as an overarching thing in my life. When big moments come up and decisions need to be made, when God presents something to me, I trust in him. I, I say yes to him. And that, that's the only thing I'm talking about. I'm not talking about every single thing I've ever done. Okay. And so I gave myself an A, and then Sherwin goes, and he's like, well, I give myself a C. You certainly don't want to overgrade. And I'm like, well, I just gave myself an A. Thanks, Sherwin. So then I'm on my way home, and I'm, I'm thinking about that. And when I'm driving home on Wednesday nights, it's an, an important time for me because Lydia and the kids, they don't come to Wednesday nights. Um, so when I'm driving home, I'm by myself. It's nighttime, and it's a 30-minute drive, so I've got this nice alone time. So I typically talk to the Lord, and I pray, and I started thinking about something else that got talked about. I don't know if it even got talked about in that class, but Dad was re-describing something that he's talked about a few times, and it's an important thing to talk about, how in the past... People will come to the pastor or whoever and say that they're leaving a church because they're just not getting fed. 
And dad, like I said, I don't know if it was in class or the Sunday before, but he said the, that's just the wrong way to think about it. It's not the pastor's job, and for those, you guys, new guys who came with Nathan, I'm not the pastor, trust me. It'd be a lot better than this. But <laughs> it's not the pastor's job to fill you up and to feed you everything that you need. I mean, it's a good thing to be in here and to have this kind of gathering and somebody to speak and encourage you. And that, but in the weeks, the days of the week, it's up to you to fill yourself up. And the way that you do that is a strange thing. Dad describes the way you do that is you fill other people up. You serve other people. You feed other people. I mean, maybe not food, maybe food. But you just feed them whatever they need. Fill them up. Empty yourself out in service of your neighbor. And then you will become full. It's backwards, right? Seems backwards, and then you hear about it, and you're like, oh, oh, that's great. That's good stuff. So then I'm thinking on the ride home, well, I normally pray. And then I'm thinking about that, and I'm running that through my head, and I'm like, you know what? I realize that my prayer life is pretty selfish, self-serving. And what I mean by that is almost universally, everything that I pray, back, pray about can be traced back to me. So obviously, I pray for myself. Everybody, I'm sure, prays for themselves. Like, you know, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Give me direction. Give me the strength to do this say yes to you, blah, blah, blah. I pray for my wife. She's pregnant right now. I pray for her and our baby, and I pray for Everly and Brady, and that can be traced back to me, right, because they're my family. And so I pray for my mom and dad. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I might pray for Kendall and Benny. Kendall's pregnant. Nick and JC, June and Ellis. I might pray for my family, which can be traced back to me. I might pray for City of Refuge. Well, City of Refuge is founded by my uncle. Like, all 900 of my family members work for City of Refuge. And I worked for City of Refuge. I'd like to see it succeed. And City of Refuge can be traced back to me, right? So there's all these instances, I'm just thinking, in, in what I normally pray for that can all be traced back to me. And there's... Nothing wrong with that in and of itself, praying for those things. But I'm like, well, when I get these text messages and some of these groups that I'm in and somebody who I don't really know has a need or whatever, I might do the old, I don't know, 15, 20-second prayer, Lord, help this person in this situation. Your will be done. Amen. And that's just wrong, if you ask me. That's just wrong. People who can't be traced back to me, I'm just like, well, you know, well, I guess I'll pray real quick. Maybe that's not fully the attitude, but, you know, maybe it's unconsciously sort of the attitude, right? So then I just decide then and there I'm going to pray for uh, two people who I do know them, but they can't be traced back to me, and... I spend 15, the last probably 15 or 20 minutes of the drive just praying for other people. And I'm not proud of myself. I'm not looking for a, you know, I felt guilty. So I just started doing that. So, you know, don't clap for me or anything. That, that's something I have to improve on, right? And then I get home, and I'm glad I did that. And I'm going to do that some more. And then I start tossing around. It's kind of an experience for me, in case you hadn't noticed, this Wednesday night. <laughs> I get home, and I'm like, well... What about this giving myself an A thing? What's up with that? How can I even show that? And I kept feeling pretty good about it. I was like, you know, I, I, I trust in the Lord. I do. I trust in the Lord. I do. And I'm like, well, what, what do I do now? And I'm like, standing there. I get in my house, walk in in the kitchen, toss my keys down, and I'm like, well, in a week and a half, I'm supposed to speak on Sunday. And I don't want to say it was the Lord tell, told me because people throw up a lot of lame excuses for things that they do. Or even if it's 
Even if it's something pretty good, they say, well, the Lord told me this. But he's like, well, maybe he's like, right? I think it was, but I don't want to declare it. Go up there and speak with no notes. Don't prepare. I'm like, what? Heck, no, I can't do that. Wait, do I trust in the Lord or not? Hmm? So these are not my notes. I don't have any notes. That's Dad's notes. But I did make it easy on myself, okay? I made it easy on myself. I'm going to talk about myself. I know about me, right? I've heard about me before. So I can explain myself. <laughs> and so I was like, fine, I'll do it. But I ain't going off the radar, like, to some unknown territory. And, but I'm not here to, <laughs> I'm sorry, Riley's cracking me up. I'm not here to be braggadocious or anything, but I am going to tell you the overarching narratives in my life where I trusted in the Lord. And the only reason I'm doing that is to encourage you to do the same thing, right? So God is going to bring you to certain crossroads in your life. There's going to be certain things in your mind, in your spirit that you feel that you may be leading up to that you can't do. And then when he gets you to that point, like I said, you're at a crossroads. You have to stop, bro. You have to say yes or no, right? So, I remember when I was 16 or 17 years old, and, and this is something that sticks with me. I think about this on a regular basis, actually. I'm with, a, I'm with a buddy of mine, and we're just smoking pot and doing all the things I used to do when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And I'm telling him about the Jamaica trips that we go on and the things that we do in Jamaica the good works that go on, the things that have been built. We go to the mustard seed community. It's full of a bunch of special needs people. And we go there and we serve, and it's amazing. And my buddy, he's like, well, wouldn't it be cool if you could do that and just leave the God thing out of it and just go do good works anyways? And that struck me like, because in my mind, even though I'm doing wrong, obviously, I'm 17, I'm doing all kinds of stuff wrong. So many things I'm doing wrong. But still, somewhere, somewhere in here, I got this feeling that I know in that moment, even though it's just me and him, we're like hiking some trail to a waterfall to go jump off of it and climb up and jump off of it. It's just me and him. And he'd be the only person to ever hear me say, yeah, that'd probably be better. Or something stupid like that. But in my, in my body, it just hit me like, you cannot deny God, even to this one person. And if he was the only person to hear me, who is a physical being, then he'd be the only person. But God would hear me, right? I would hear myself, right? So it's, the conversation got a little weird where it was like we were talking past each other. And I, I was just like, well, no, that's kind of why we go. And he was like kind of talking right back past me. Like he wasn't mad or anything. He was like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool, though? I'm like, well, no, that's kind of why we go. That's it. Just didn't, you know, don't, I didn't want to deny God. And that, that's just something that I remember all the time. It's not even some big, long story. That was very short and compact. But it's something that I, I just remember because I think it's important. And then I wind up getting busted. So my dad finds out through my jerk sister that I've been smoking pot and all this stuff. <laughs> Kendall, she snitched on me. Jerk. She saved my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And so my dad finds out I'm in all this trouble, you know. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. And, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out, though, even though I've been busted, what am I going to do? Am I, am I going to tell him, sorry, this is the way it is. You know, this is who I am. You can go, you know, kick some dirt. And sorry. And I'm actually considering that. And in the same week, 
Like just one or two days later after that, we're going to the beach. We're going to St. George Island, Florida. And my, my future bride is there. She's staying in the house right next to us. And so I'm, I'm in this different area. I'm on this beach house. And I'm going through a lot. I'm like really deciding what am I going to do. Uh, and then, like, I'm noticing Lydia at the same time. I'm like, man, she's pretty cute. She's pretty cute, especially out here at the beach, if you know what I mean. And her family's staying in the house right next to us, right next to us. I'm literally in a baby blue house, and she's in a pink house right next to each other on the beach. So I'm like, what the heck? And I'm like, all right, this could work out. I see her at the grocery store because there's, like, one grocery store there. And <laughs> so that was nothing special. And, but I go out, and I look at their car, and it says Kentucky. And I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm like Googling seven hours. That's not going to work. But then I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. And I actually didn't have the, the wherewithal to talk to her. She come up and talk to me because I was pretty cute too, you know. She couldn't help it. She come up and talk to me. He was like, hey, you can go play some volleyball. I was like, heck yeah, I want to go play some volleyball. Spike, she was terrible. I don't know why she wanted to play volleyball. Anyways, so then we exchanged numbers, and I'm texting her. And that was like the literally the last day we were leaving the next morning. Took, took that long, and I was just going to go home without talking to her. But then we're talking, and I'm like, well, something's up with this girl. So... I want to hang out with her on the beach and just talk. And, but I'm in trouble, and there's no way my dad or my mom's going to let me go hang out with some girl on the beach after all that I've just been exposed for, right? So I'm just going to sneak out. And sometimes it's okay to disobey your parents if God told you to do it, right? Because we've been married for almost 10 years. But I, I make this elaborate plan, like, I'm sneaking out, hey, you want to, or I'm going, uh, I'm asking her if she wants to go crab catching, but really, we're going to walk about 10 feet and sit down and talk, because I don't want to go crab catching, I want to talk. And we sit out there and talk for like two and a half hours, and it was amazing. So, God basically sent her to help me make the decision, because I, I think I was going to maybe make a wrong decision there. And three, day, three days later, oh, by the way, the next morning when we're leaving, my mom and dad saw me over there at her porch talking to her, and I was trying to get a kiss before I left. She wouldn't kiss me, so I knew she was the one, if that makes any sense to you. Like, well, she don't want to kiss me. She must be going to be my wife. Anyways, so then about three days later, I'm texting on my phone, and my dad's like, you're not texting that girl from the beach, are you? I was like, yeah. Well, what the world? What are you doing that for? I was like, we're going to get married. <laughs> I said, what? You're not going to get married? I said, you just watch me, buddy. And we're married. So then I moved to Paducah, Kentucky. And those were some fine years. I learned a lot of things. I gained a lot of experience. I did a couple different jobs that helped me develop a lot of skills that I was already inclined to, but kind of refine them. But all along the way, and I want you to think about this to yourself. I want you to think about this in your heart. All along the way, there were certain things inside of me that I felt like I was meant to do. Maybe not qualified to do, but they're inside of me, and I can't get them out of me, right? So one of the things was I wanted to work in the ministry. Well, that makes sense because my mom and, or not my mom, right? Yeah, my mom. But my, fa my whole family <laughs> works in the ministry, right? That I come from, that's my lineage. It's the ministry, and that's what I want to do. And deep inside, I wanted to work for City Refuge, right? Now, I tried a few different things in Kentucky. I never really explained explicitly to anybody that City Refuge is where I wanted to be. But I knew in my heart, City Refuge is where I want to be. All right, and so we're living in Kentucky. We lived there for about four years. I never really expressed 
anything specific like that to Lydia. I never express it to my mom and dad. And my, I get a phone call, and it's my dad, and he's telling me about this place. We just got this place. It was early 2017. And he's saying it's out of date. It's got orange carpet and orange pews, and we just can't have that. Um, it, it needs somebody to come down here and start remodeling things, updating things, taking care of the facilities, vehicles, maintenance, uh, and we think it should be you. And so that was a pretty easy yes for me. It was an easy yes for Lydia once she was presented to me. This is an easy yes for me because I feel like I'm qualified. I mean, that's kind of my inclination is maintenance and, you know, real manly stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we have, me and Lydia start having some conversations. Her parents live up there. And, you know, so there's, there's a few little things to work out. And so we have conversations. I have conversations with my mom and dad. We both have conversations with my mom and dad. And we eventually make that step and say yes, okay? So all that to say so far is that if you are inclined to something, if you have a skill in something, if you're talented at something, then you should use it in service of good, in service of the Lord. You should try to use your special talents to serve God. And I felt like I was able to do that with that job. But he might also call you to do things that you feel in no way that you could ever do. No way ever. I'll tell you another thing that was tossed around in my mind for so many years. This, speaking up here. And that was something never, ever was I going to do. Just like Dad said. Dad said, never, ever, I'm just a boy, you know. I can't do it. And that's true, I couldn't do it. But then I'm thinking, and, and this is how my mind works, over so many years, I'm like, well, my papa was a preacher. This is a step into my mind, so here we go. Well, my papa was a preacher. My dad's a preacher. My uncle's a preacher. What's going to happen when these guys are gone? I mean, this is, this, this is generations of preachers and then I start looking around and I'm like I look at my brothers and I'm like <laughs> Jacob just happens to be here I'm, I'm like it's gonna be me isn't it there's no way it's gonna be no, <laughs> no I'm joking with y'all okay so but I'm like it's gonna be me isn't it but how because let me tell y'all something if you knew me back in the day, y'all would have been like, this kid is a complete fool. I remember in the 11th grade, check this, in the 11th grade, dude, you talk about by the seat of your britches. I had six classes. Two of them was like gym and weight training. And then I had your four core classes, math, science, social studies, English, what, some sort of literature class. I had three 70s and a 71 at the end of the year. I literally passed by one point in three classes and two points in the other class. That's how much of a goober I was. And I didn't go to Lee University, any kind of college, anything like that. And I wouldn't consider myself overly articulate. And so I'm just like, well, no, that's, not, that's just not going to happen. That's not me. But why am I even tossing around in my mind? You know what I mean? Why am I tossing around in my mind? Because it's been placed there, right? So then, you know, years and years pass, and I start working at City Refuge, and it's still tossing around in my mind. And I'm, I've resolved that that's there for a reason. It doesn't matter how qualified I am, I guess. If I ever get asked, I'll just say yes, and we'll go from there. And I basically knew that at some point I was going to be asked, right? And so then the call came. It's dad. Hey. He gave me about six weeks' notice, which was good and bad, because I had about six weeks to be sick. But also I had about six weeks to prepare. So it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to be out such and such date. Can you speak for me? Yes. 
And I'm thinking in my mind, no, no, I don't want to. But it worked out okay. Here we are. I think I've done it. I usually write down the title of each of my sermons after I do it in these notes so that I just kind of have an archive, and I think it's like 26. So I've done it several times here now. And I think generally it goes well. I don't know what y'all think. We could do like a survey. But I feel like it's okay, right? But as far as the notes thing go, now I'm not somebody who's like speaking like this, like so note-oriented that I can't look up and walk around or anything. But I do like to, I do like to have my notes, you know what I mean? I, I even write the scriptures down so that I can, I don't have to flip through anything, I don't have to grab my phone, I don't have to look up there to, and get Nate to pull them up. If I want them, they're there. I need the notes. You know, I don't, I don't just stare at them, but I do need them. I'm uncomfortable without them, right? But maybe God just wants me to grow, and, and he might want me to do this that I'm doing now so that I grow and develop, and y'all are my crash test dummies. Thank y'all for being here. And so it's, it's interesting what God will do. So, completely unqualified, he calls me to do that. I say yes, and so far, tons of mistakes in between, but the overarching narratives in my life, the places, the big places he really wants to take me, I say yes to. And if you have something you feel like you can't do, then fall on God, because that's what you have to do, because that's the truth, you can't do it. But another thing that was mentioned in Wednesday, a couple, uh, the Wednesday I'm talking about in adult class, was dad said that I was never going to volunteer myself to preach. And I was sitting there like, that's true. And we'd never discussed that before. But I wasn't going to volunteer myself to do that. So if a leader or, or somebody who's like your mentor comes to you with something like that, and it's been stirring in your heart, you should say yes because you should listen to your leadership because God puts people in your life to, take, to help you to get places you're not going to get on your own. You know, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to do things together. And the fact of the matter is my dad knows better than I do, right? And he has a relationship with the Lord, and, and the same thing that was stirring in my heart must have been stirring in his heart, Right? So that, that's a couple examples. I'll give you another example. This property back here, it's 90 acres. Now, I know we don't own it now. But for years and years and years, I can remember being 8, 9, 10 years old, where my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters can vouch, would talk about having a piece of land where they can serve, where they can have groups. Back then, it was like old school city refuge. The main idea was inner city kids. Let's build a pool, let's build some cabins. They can come camp out and do things. And so, for years and years and years, we would go to places, oh, this place is beautiful, this place is amazing. Here's what we could do in that building, here's what we could build right here. And it never worked out. For whatever reason, it just w wouldn't work out and then wouldn't work out and then wouldn't work out. Whether that was like a city refuge board vote or funds or just timing or just whatever, it wouldn't work out. But that dream also never died. It never died, it always stayed. And it became ingrained in me. I'm like, I wanna be a big part of that too. I just love that dream. I feel it in here. I want to be a big part of that. And so as I get older, especially when I'm living down here and I'm around that idea more and more, I start looking into places myself. We start sharing these ideas. And like if, if you're in our shoes, you just kind of get exhausted with it because being let down so many times on something is exhausting. It's completely exhausting. Like I'm 30. I can remember being eight talking about this. And then, out of nowhere, like I'm pulling up to the Zaxby's, I notice a little bit further up the driveway, there's a closed gate, old, 
bushes growing up around it, sign on it with a phone number, and I pull, like, first time I'm seeing it, pull up to it, and I'm like, what the heck is this all about? And I start pulling up the maps, and it's a big piece of property. Like, wait a second, there is a big piece of property right behind the church? Are you kidding me? And I go back there and look around, and the trees are cut down. It's bare. Turns out it's 90 acres of land. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this couldn't be more perfect. This could not be more perfect. You could literally cut a driveway over here from the parking lot to it, right? It, that's how perfect it is. Y'all are wondering where the heck I'm going with this because some of y'all know what happened. <laughs> but then I'm doing this research, and I tell Dad about it. And Dad was, pre Dad was like youth pastor here like 150 years ago, and he didn't know about it. How does he not know about it? I'm asking other people, they don't know about it. How does nobody know that there's 90 acres right there? If I had a better arm, I could throw something from here to there. And I'm like, okay, Dad, can you look into this? I tell a couple other people, can you look into this? Can you get some information on this? And we find out uh, who owns it, when it was purchased, blah, blah, blah. And then it becomes time to try to reach out. And I'm like, all right, Dad, call this person, and let's get this thing going. Come on, call him. Figure out what we can do. Call him. Have you called him? Are you going to call him? Did you call him? He won't call him. And so he, he tells me, well, you call him. Well, there's a big problem with that. I don't want to call him because I'm more of like a background kind of guy, like go do some work. Uh, deconstruct something, reconstruct something, put my hands to something. I don't even want to be up here, if you know what I mean. That's what I'm saying. This is a decision that Dad made for some reason that he wants me to call him. Like, I don't even want to type an email, much less botch a phone call like that. It's an important phone call because in the background the idea is well we'd really like this thing to be donated it's 90 acres you got to have the right person to make that phone call right and for those of you who don't know the city of refuge atlanta property which is like does anybody know actually how many square foot it is it's like 200,000 under roof 210 there you go anton he measured it <laughs> But seven and a half million dollars is what it's for sale for. So Bruce, my uncle, founder of City Refuge, is looking for a place right in the middle of the bluff, and he calls and says, "Hey, we're interested in this place." And they're like, "Well, it's for sale, seven and a half million dollars. You want to make me an offer?" Uh, yeah, zero dollars. I don't have any money. I'm like, okay, bye. And then. Some months go by, he reaches out, reaches out again, reaches out again. And then they give him the $7.5 million property for free. So it's already been done before. Donated. It's already been done before. I, I, we're, we're looking for the same thing here. Now, we're, we've got the door open to other conversations. Low dollar lease. Maybe buy it. You know, we don't know exactly what the situation is. But I don't want to screw that up by me making the phone call because that, I just don't talk business. That's not, I, don't, I don't know anything about it and still don't. <laughs> but Dad says, well, you need to call him. You found it, you need to call him. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll call him. I'll screw this thing up. Watch me. And the first thing I did was send an email to the business that he owns trying to figure out what is uh, contact even was. It was just like an email to the business. And then I get a response from a lady who gives me his email, and I write him an email that was like six pages long. Emails don't even have pages, but it was super long. And what I did was I just described who we are, where we were adjacent to his land, what we wanted to do, 
what our dream was. Exact, I just gave them real detailed information on what we wanted to do. I told them about HOC and what things we wanted to do there. I just gave them, I just gave them the picture. That's why it was so long. I gave it all I had. And he responds back, can you call me or something, like six words. And I'm like, oh, great. He's going to lecture me. <laughs> just kidding. But then I'm like, okay, here we go. I call him. And this doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Now that I'm saying it, like a phone call, that's not a big deal. But to me it was, and a lot was kind of at stake. We really wanted that. And so I call him, and I tell you, it was like the best phone call I've ever been on in my whole life. He lives in Thomasville, Georgia, which is basically Florida. It's south, south Georgia. His name's Harry Jones. And he told me that he bought the property in 08, when the market crashed, prices were good. And he was just hanging on to it until its highest and best use was revealed. And I said, Harry, have I got news for you, buddy? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> but it's just like, wow, that is a tremendous response. Something I would have never expected. You expect to talk to somebody who's just like kind of haughty. And yeah, you're going to have to buy my 90 acres. Towards the end of the phone call, he's wanting to pray with, pray with me about this whole ordeal. And I'm like, what? This is incredible. This is amazing. He wants to pray with me. And so then we get into this conversation with him, which took for, forever. You know, anything like that takes forever. I know that much about business, stuff like that. Anything like that takes forever. But we don't ask him right away for, a donate, for him to donate it or anything like that. We're talking low-dollar lease. We're talking what, what's the price per acreage? How much would you sell it for? And... I remember we were in the living room, Dad's living room. He's hold, Dad's holding the phone on speaker. We're both on the phone with Harry. And he, he's just, we're beating around the bush so hard. Bush was all hacked up. And he's like, well, what do y'all want to do? He's just trying to get it out of us. And we're like, well, what do you think about a low-dollar lease? No, I don't want to do that. Well, what do you want to sell? You want to sell part of it? No, nah, I don't want to do that. Why don't y'all tell me what y'all want me to do? It's like, huh. <clears throat> Why don't you give it to us? <laughs> and that's what he wanted to hear, okay? He wanted to give it to us. And, you know, there's tax write-offs and all kinds of good stuff, people like that. But I'm sure it's certainly not more money than he could make selling it. And so he gives it to us, right? So I said yes. My mom and dad have been saying yes for years because the property dream, it, it, like I said, let's see, that was probably five years ago. The property dream right there is about 15 years old. But if it's still stirred up in their hearts, they're still going to keep pursuing it because it's still there. they got to keep saying yes. Well, that's called waiting, but working while you're waiting. You're just, just trucking along. You know that something's coming. You know that something's coming. Okay, just keep on trucking. That's another little lesson. But I truly believe that, well, let me say this first for those of you who don't know. We were roadblocked every way we could be roadblocked here. Three and a half years or so. Sometimes we were just trying to, you know, get our plans together, get our money together, but we were roadblocked hardcore. The city and some of the folks here didn't want diddly to do with what we wanted to do. I mean, we're talking like a house, a barn, a pasture, 10 horses, something like that. Well, what's the problem? Well, the truth is nothing's a problem. I truly believe that God had in mind to use that property. I believe it. We got all our plans together. We've spent all this money on surveying, engineering. We've got our builders in place. 
We've got all these big drawings. And the engineers take it up, seeking approval. We've already had all these city council meetings that my dad's gone to. Just vicious, vicious people come to oppose that, which is the most confusing thing ever. And they go in, and I'm skipping a whole bunch of details. Hey, this is our drawing. This is what we want to do. And I wasn't there. It was just our engineers. Some official pulls out some new law that they have passed that prohibits any livestock in the city limits, several different things, uh, real lawyer-like wordage that I didn't understand half of, but I didn't under have to understand almost any of it. All I had to be able to draw from that was that, well, we can't do what we want to do out there. Because behind our backs and behind closed doors, the city was operating in darkness to stop what we wanted to do. And I actually do, it's not a note, I'm not cheating, but I do have a verse I want to share. You can look up verses, right? Because we can follow along. Romans 1, let me see what verse it starts at. Eighteen. I'll give him a second. And you say, well, can't God do anything? Because if he really, 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 really wanted the operation to happen right there, wouldn't it have just happened? Well, no, because people have to say yes to God. People have to say yes to God. Several of us said yes along the way, but some people said no. The city's leaders said no. We had the mayor out here. We had the uh, city manager out here. Our good friend, Michael Richardson, uh, police chief of the Thomaston Police Department, brought them out here because he wants to work with us. He wants to clear the air on some of the rumors that we're some sort of freaks. I'm like, yeah, I'm a freak, dude. I'm super freak. But anyways, <laughs> Jesus freak. Yeah, there you go. I'm Jesus freak. And so they come and tour the building, and, and they're acting impressed. They're acting like they're fine with what we want to do, but it was fake. They weren't impressed. They didn't want to see us further the kingdom here. I don't know why. I can't explain to you why, but they decided they're going to start interfering. They're going to say no. I remember pulling up into the park. I don't know if I've even ever said this to anybody. I remember pulling into the parking lot one day, and the mayor is sitting in our parking lot, just sitting there. I'm like, that's kind of weird. I'm pulling in. And he starts, he starts pulling out when I'm pulling in. And he pulls over and stops at the stop sign and just turns back looking at the church. Nobody pulls up behind him so he doesn't have to pull off or anything. And he literally sits there for like a minute and a half just staring because I pulled down to Kendall's office. I was in the tundra. I had super tinted windows, so I'm just looking back like, why the heck is he here? What, and what is he doing? And why is, he sits there for like a minute and a half just staring. I don't know if he was looking to see who was going to get out of the truck or what, but it was just weird. It was just weird. Like, why the heck is he doing that? So I'm like, well, that didn't feel good, especially with some of the kickback we'd been getting. And so here you go. And probably part of this I could skip because I'm really looking at the first little bit and then uh, 28, but we're, I'm going to read it all because we're going to lay it on thick. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people were, are without excuse. So what does that say? It just means that we know intrinsically 
that God is real. He's the creator. We know that. We are without excuse. We know that. He makes it clear to us. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. How do you glorify God? How do you give thanks to God? There's a few different ways, but right now, you say yes to God. That's how you glorify God. You say yes to God. You obey God. Could you imagine being in a position where you believe in God, which means that you believe he is eternally powerful? I mean, God, God, he's God, and you are unwilling to do what he tells you to do, you are unwilling to follow through on God? That means you either, like, A, don't really believe in God because the definition of belief like that is, like, you live your life like you believe in God. You have to do that. Or maybe you don't care. Maybe that's another option. And if you believe and just don't care, that seems a little worse. Like, yeah, I believe in God. And I believe that there's, well, we won't get into all that. But I believe in God, but I'm just not willing to care. That is a deep pit to be in. Okay? Although, here we go. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him which means they're not saying yes to God. Think about this in this specific circumstance with the city that we're talking about. They neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is the part... I thought about skipping and going down to, but we're going to read it anyways. Yeah, we're going to read it. <laughs> Thank you, Doyle. Therefore, God gave them over, and you can think of this in a much broader narrative than just this city. Think about the United States when I read this. Therefore, God gave them over in the... Well, hold on. I almost skipped that. God gave them over. If you choose to deny God, my, my grandma said a couple Wednesdays ago, I told you that class was good. I keep bringing that up, by the way. She said that when, when you disobey God, when you deny God, he raises up an enemy, like we've been talking about in Jeremiah. God raises up an enemy. He raises up Babylon. What greater enemy than yourself? He just gives you over. Verse 28 is really going to hammer it. We're not there yet, but I want you to already be thinking about that. He just gives you over to the sinful desires of your heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of your bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised. Amen. Because of God, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. How do you retain the knowledge of God? Well, it's kind of like getting keys to the kingdom. You have to walk in obedience. You have to say yes to God. That's the only way you obtain any knowledge from God and retain any knowledge from God is continuing to say yes to God. So therefore... If you think it is not worthwhile to say yes to God, to retain the knowledge of God, he's going to give you over to yourself, to a depraved mind. Because you are depraved. You need God. 
He'll just, like Grandma said, raise up an enemy. He'll just give you over to yourself. You're your own enemy. So that they do things that ought not to be done. That's why I believe that God fully intended on using that land. But then this land is in city limits. This land is inside of a city, and it's, the city has its leaders. And it's up to the leaders to say yes. And if the leaders say no, then the leaders said no, and God gives the city over to a depraved mind. The city is depraved, and God can take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good, and he can move along and do something bigger and better. Everybody has to say yes. And if you say, man, I feel sorry for this city. But you do it, they do it to themselves. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. All this from saying no. They are gossips, whew, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. That is sad. I'm telling you, man. Bertie, you said a couple weeks ago in class that you have a testimony that's not ready. You brought that up because that's been on your heart. And I believe, just like Bertie, there's other folks in the room who've got something on their heart, that God is going to bring you to a crossroad. He's going to bring you to a point where a leader, a mentor, somebody in your life, or he himself is going to ask you to make a decision. And you need to say yes. You can say, I'm a boy. You can say, I'm pathetic, I'm weak. It's appropriate to say that because it's true in many cases. Some instances I felt qualified. Other instances I felt completely unqualified because I was. It doesn't matter. So, Bertie, you can get your testimony together, and you can share it. Bertie says five words in class and starts rubbing her head, and her head starts turning red because she's so nervous to talk. We don't care. We won't hear it anyways. You know what? I'm so nervous to talk. I'm still so nervous to talk. We just need to say yes. Let's finish this verse off. I'm almost done. For although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And like I said, this is to wrap it up. God can take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Finish the story about the land. Did God fully intend to use that land? I believe so. I don't know every thought, gesture that God has. I don't know. But I can tell you a lot of work went into it. A lot of good went into it. A lot of phone calls, a lot of time, a lot of effort went into it. It's right here connected to the church. So why not? Right? Why not? But also, God will just respond to our requests. He'll respond to the city's requests, I believe. And I did not even have time to be angry. Dad calls me 
And he says, hey, it looks like we're not going to be able to do anything on that lamb. We're not going to be able to do what we want to do. So we're just going to have to sell it. And, you know, just, you know, a little P.S. We talked to the owner, and he was fine with us selling it, understood, like he said, and he reiterated, he just wanted it to be used in its highest and best use. And if that meant selling it and getting a different place, he was fine with that. He says, it looks like we're not going to be able to do what we want to do. But I'm about to send you a link that Bruce found. I think we're going to buy this place. So I'm like, really? I didn't even get mad. I wasn't even angry. I'm like, wow. Wow. So I pull it up. And here's another thing that made it feel real to me. He said, don't tell anybody. Because, <laughs> you know, we're always talking about it. Me and my brothers, sisters, mom and dad, anytime like a piece of land comes up and it's exciting, we're all talking about it. He says, don't tell, don't say anything to anybody. I didn't even tell Lydia. I didn't tell a soul. Because, and then I felt like looking at it and hearing that in this very specific moment where we have just been denied for years and years and have been ultimately denied that this is real. And in one minute and a half phone call, everything changed. Let me tell you something. We were ready to do it, but do you know that we would probably barely even be breaking ground and starting on a first building over here? And in six weeks from when we got shut down and I got that phone call, we moved into Sunny D Farms that is an event center. You know, we were co coming up with all these ideas of how we could generate money over here. What could we do that's like a business? Because, you know, ministry is expensive, and it's, but it's not for profit. So you have to figure out ways to supplement the ministry in order for the ministry to even be able to operate. This place is a business. It's a wedding venue. It generates a lot of money. Okay, so that, that's already there. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. There's a barn already there. There's horse pasture already there. There's orchards there. There's this beautiful event barn there. There's this house there that me and Lydia live at because that's what we do. We serve. She's the coordinator. I work here and there, mostly there now because it's overwhelming. But all along, remember the dream that I had? I really wanted to be a part of that. I really wanted to be a part of that to the extent that I knew my strengths. This is going to sound weird. My strengths are making things beautiful. This place is more beautiful now because they brought me down here. And it's not perfect, but it's more beautiful. I know when something's crooked, and I know when something's straight. I know when something needs to be straightened. I know when something don't look right, and we're going to get it fixed. Okay, I want people to come to a place that's beautiful and I'll work however hard I have to to make it beautiful, however late I have to, whatever we got to do, however last minute it is, we're going to make this place beautiful and comfortable for people. Okay, so that's why I live there. And when we bring groups there, it's beautiful. And I tell you, like I said, we'd already be we'd barely be breaking ground on a building here. And that would have been fine. We'd eventually had something. But God took what the enemy meant for evil, and he just sped up the whole thing. He said, fine, we'll get something that's already completed, and we'll get to work right away. Amen? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. God is amazing. Say yes to God, because God is amazing. All right? That's all I got. Lord, thank you so much for what you do here, what you continue to do here. I, I pray that we, as a City Refuge South congregation, would continue to say yes to us, corporately and individually. I pray for each person in the room that as they toss things around in their spirit, I know that there's things that they toss around in their spirits, as I toss things around in my spirit, that you would have them do. And I pray that you would bring those things to the forefront you would bring it to them and that we would be able to have the courage to say yes, to lean not on our own understanding, but rely heavily on you, Father. I pray for mom and dad as they travel back today in the City of Refuge event that it was an enormous success. 
I pray for anybody who wasn't here today who was sick. I pray for Anton and his family as they're sick and anybody else who has a sickness or illness, Father. And everybody who is not here today who's normally here, I pray that you would touch them where they are. Touch these individuals as they leave. And we say all this in your name. Amen.